Welcome to Elevating Brick and Mortar, a podcast about how operations and facilities drive brand performance. On today's episode, we talk with Dina McKinley, Chief Experience Officer at Papa Gino's Pizza and D'Angelo's Grilled Sandwiches. Papa Gino's is a family-owned restaurant chain specializing in traditional thin crust pizza. D'Angelo's Grilled Sandwiches is a chain neighborhood-style sandwich shop found throughout New England. Throughout Dina's career in marketing and advertising, she's achieved results through maintaining a focus on brands and enhancing the customer experience. With expertise in the retail and restaurant industries, she brings critical understanding of the intricacies needed to develop and maintain a brand that customers will choose over and over again. In this episode, Dina discusses the rise of the role of Chief Experience Officer, leveraging automation to empower employees, and how the brand experience should begin internally. But first, a word from our sponsor. Want to rest easy knowing your brick and mortar locations are offering the best possible guest experience? Partner with Service Channel for peak facilities performance. Check out servicechannel.com today to learn more. And now here's your host, industry and FM technology thought leader and chief business development officer at Service Channel, Sid Shetty, along with our guest, Dina McKinley. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. I'm here today with Dina McKinley, Chief Experience Officer at Papa Gino's Pizzeria and D'Angelo's Grilled Sandwiches. Dina, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you. So, Dina, let's start. Let's talk about this impressive career that you've had with a lot of accolades, and not only in the hospitality industry, but also in the advertising space. So, can you share your journey with us? Yes, absolutely. So I, you know, started my career and actually I was a high school English teacher to start. And then oh, I made my way into marketing and advertising. And I started at Zimmerman Advertising. I had a really great team and we handled um, restaurant industry and, and Papa John's Pizza. And we really ended up with um, a great team there. And I think surrounding myself with great people and, and just working together with great brands and, and great people puts you in, in a position to have a lot of success. And that's really carried through into my career here at Papa Gino's and D'Angelo, where having a great team, surrounding yourself with great people, letting them do what they do best gives us a recipe for success. That's awesome. And, you know, what made you enter the restaurant and hospitality space? You were in the space before you left it and then came back, right? I've always worked in something that had to do with restaurants since I left teaching, that is. So when I started in the agency business, uh, my first account was the Papa John's Co-op Group for South Florida. And when I did that, I worked, you know, exclusively with Papa John's operators I went onto the actual client side of the business and worked for Papa John's for a year. And then I came back and worked again on the Papa John's account. From there at the agency, I started to work on additional retail business. Then when I left the agency side and went to the technology side, it's working with restaurants and it was a technology platform where we serviced restaurant clients. So the technology company that I worked for, sole purpose was really to increase frequency and the experience of multi-unit operators. And that was also specific to restaurants. And now here I am back on the brand side, which is fantastic. That's awesome. So you've been in this space this whole time, but just in different capacities or different sides of, of the equation. That's perfect. Yeah. So Dina, tell us a little bit more about Papa Gino's and D'Angelo's grilled sandwiches. Well, Papa Gino's and D'Angelo are both iconic brands in the New England area. 
They were both founded in the 1960s. Baba Gino's was founded in 1961 and D'Angelo in 1967. And they're really very special brands in that community. They've been around um, for so long that anytime you meet anybody on the street and you say, oh, I work with, you know, for Baba Gino's and D'Angelo. Oh, I had my eighth birthday at Papa Gino's and everybody had a birthday party at Papa Gino's and they made pizza in the back and everybody knows the steak number nine at D'Angelo. And, and it's just, they're brands that are so full of stories and full of love that they make you feel um, just such an emotional connection to them. And when I was researching the brands before, you know, I moved across the country to work for, for this company, I lived in Arizona and I heard about this opportunity to come in and work with these brands. I did a lot of research and all of the research that I found and, and the social media posts and the Google reviews and just everything else, they were so full of love and emotion that I just felt like what a chance for a marketer to go and work with brands that people love so much and that have such an emotional connection to. And to me, it became this wonderful opportunity to create great experiences going forward with brands that already had so much to offer in terms of emotional connection. I love that. I mean, clearly it seems like, you know, you don't just have customers, you have raving fans exactly. and loyal fans that have a certain sentiment to the brand, right? That's true. And, and the other thing about that, you know, especially with pizza, pizza is the kind of business in this industry that is just, it's not just food. You know, pizza, it's love, you know, in a lot of ways. Everybody who can think of pizza in their memories has a memory with pizza. There's an event associated with it, a sleepover, a birthday party, the Super Bowl, whatever it is, a game, a gathering. Pizza is the kind of food that brings people together. And, you know, my history is that I've worked with pizza for my entire career. And the idea of pizza is is fun. And it's this, this family and friend mentality. And it's this idea that when the pizza gets here, there's no rules. You know, the kids can open the door and get the pizza delivery and you can eat at the couch. And it's not the same formal experience that other dinner or other occasion to eat might be. It's an opportunity to create an even more special experience when you have this brand that everybody loves and you have this experience that everybody loves. And, you know, that creates a lot of excitement for a marketer. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing what food can do to invoke memories, create a lot of nostalgia, you know, and, and, and create certain sentiment. And I think when brands understand that and tap into it and become part of those memories, that's golden, right? I mean, that's pretty phenomenal. And so, you know, you were really attracted by the role and, you know, you joined or at least had the chief marketing officer role at both the brands. And then you were recently promoted to chief experience officer. So can you tell us about the scope of your role and what is this newish, you know, C-level, you know, role that's, that we're seeing in the space and what does it do, you know, what's the responsibility in the restaurant world? That's a great question. I get asked that a lot. What is a chief experience officer? There's kind of this real curiosity around the title. And I love explaining about it. And I actually have a really great story to tell about it recently. So I went to a conference last year and I had a, a delayed flight. So I was a little late getting in and I walked in about maybe 15 minutes into the first session and it was very informal, it was, you know, not a hugely formal um, session. And I walked in and everybody is, you know, already 
engaged in this conversation. It was sort of an open dialogue. And another 15 minutes into it, somebody asked a question and it was a participation round. And, you know, I raised my hand to answer a question and, and everybody was introducing themselves and their titles before they answered a question. And so I said, I'm, you know, Dina McKinley, chief experience officer for Papa Gino's and D'Angelo. And everybody in the room kind of went, it was like a, a record, you know, scratch. Everything sort of stopped. And I, I just, I didn't know what was going on. And I continued to talk and everything was fine. Well, at the end of the session, somebody walked up to me and said, you know, that whole awkward pause there for a minute was because at the very beginning of the session, somebody said, you know, what is this new title? Everybody's saying chief experience officer. No one really knows what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't there to hear it. And so everybody, oh my everybody God, was like in on the joke and I wasn't. And it was really funny. And, and of course, the person um, who was moderating, no ill intention at all. It was just a, a funny comment. And it was funny that I had missed it and then said my title. So after sidebarring there for that funny story, I'll tell you what title means. And what I think changed when my title changed is that I had marketing, catering, and guest experience. When you think about that, it's very marketing focused. It's marketing and catering and you know large orders and marketing large orders because marketing is really a function of sales end result of selling, and then guest experience, which is what is the guest feeling about what our product is and what's happening in the restaurants and how do we own that. But then you add over the last few years, the role of digital marketing and technology and how all of these things impact that guest experience and how all of the technology that we use now, loyalty programs, other interfaces on digital ordering, third-party delivery, And then you look at the things that happen in the restaurant and how our team members utilize our POS systems and if they have PDS and if they have all kinds of other things that are in the restaurant that impact their efficiency and that impact the way they interface with our guests and how they feel about their everyday tasks and if it's easy on them or not. Because what's easy on them makes their interface with our guests one way or another and how how happy that they are and makes a direct impact on how happy our guests are. And so that in essence is experience from top to bottom, from the way you bring in a guest, whether it's through a Google search or a television commercial, to the way they order, to how that order is processed through the restaurant, to how the customer gets that order, to how they provide feedback on that order through a review, through how you market back to them to come back and get another order, and then so on and so forth through this flywheel. And so that's an overall experience. It's not just marketing. And when you think about that, you have to expand that horizon and say, this isn't just marketing anymore. We're really overseeing the entire process, the entire experience that happens between our guests and our restaurants and the whole process start to finish. And so that's where that that new verbiage comes from. I love that. So you're not just looking outward to the consumer. You're actually looking inward as well and saying, what's the kind of experience we want our employees to have? Because in any hospitality business, like you said, you know, spot on, if your employees are happy, that's going to result in them making your consumers happy. And it's going to show in their smile when somebody walks in, they're going to be warm and welcoming versus not being happy about being in that in that restaurant. And that that's a huge part of the experience for the consumer, right? Absolutely. I mean, when you think about it, we all have a job 
because of them. So the people in our restaurants are the most important people in our organization. We exist to support them. We exist because they do their job the right way. And so their experience is more important than anything else in our organization because they're the ones that are going to provide our guests with the best experiences that keep them coming and that keep them happy. And I think that we can't ever forget that. I love this. There's a resurgence and a real focus on that right now in the industry. And I think that we are doing a a good job of, of making sure that we always remember that. And so when we talk experience, we are not just talking about guest experience anymore. We're talking about overall experience and, and how it pertains to the most important people in our organization, which is our team members. That's great. If you think about the world today, I mean, consumers also have extremely high expectations. And if you look at the hospitality business, you know, with the past eight years or, you know, maybe less than that, you know, if you look at what changes happened during COVID, the number of interactions that you have with the consumer has increased, right? Now you've got omni-channel, like, you know, services like Uber uh, Eats and DoorDash. There's a massive resurgence of the drive-through again. There's your website that brands allow consumers to order directly from. You know, there's your marketing, there's, there's your interactions with the consumer in the restaurant for takeout and all of that, right? Consumers expect that all those interactions are in line with the brand and are perfect. There's no pass for two out of the five being great, right? Like you have to control everything and ensure that they're all great experiences because ultimately the, the consumer is only seeing this as Papaginos. They don't look at it as, oh, but this is through XYZ channel. They care about the brand that they're interacting with. Right. It's a connected customer experience that they're expecting now. And I just did a presentation with the ANA and it was for marketers um, and advertisers as well as students. And the whole idea was, you know, why is a connected guest experience important in just the overall landscape of marketing today? And there was this one slide that I had, which was of, of a customer, you know, a woman kind of going like this, you know, all frustrated. And we've all been there where you've placed an order online and all your information's there, and then something didn't work, so you had to pick up the phone and call. But then when you called, they didn't have the same information as you put in online, and you're like, I don't understand. Why don't you have the same information? I'm the same customer that just did this online. Why don't you have the same information? If I just gave you my phone number, you had my phone number here, you should have this connectivity. And that's the expectation now. If you order on an app, if you order online, if you order on the phone, if you order in store, all of those things, we as, as consumers expect that an organization now has access to all of that data in one place. And that is now the new norm. And if we can't do that for our our customers, then we aren't going to have loyal customers. We're going to have friction and things are going to take longer. Think about the hold times. Think about how long it it takes to process an order. So you're not going to have as many orders and and then you're going to lose loyalty. So I think you're exactly right. These things are, are critical to a business to generate more loyal customers, more frequent orders and connected data, which is tremendously important to keep that business cycle going. Right. And you're the chief experience officer of not one, but two brands, right? And, you know, one is pizzeria and the other one is sandwiches. Like, is there a difference in how you look at the experiences you want to create or how you manage 
the expectations at the restaurant level or, you know, at the corporate level? Or is there just one common North Star and it doesn't matter which restaurant or product it is? Well, the behaviors of the customers are different. And so it's fundamentally the philosophy of a connected customer experience are the same. So philosophically, in my opinion, anyway, it doesn't matter philosophically from how customers expect you to manage their business. That all remains the same. But the execution of strategies to build awareness, to build frequency, to manage daily expectation, to create efficiencies in the restaurants, those things are different for each business because a sandwich business is very different than a pizza business. You know, people come in at different times. They come in at different frequency levels. The actual times in in the restaurant to do things are different, you know, making a sandwich versus making a pizza. So you have to take all of those variables into consideration when you're managing those strategies and executing those strategies. But fundamentally, you know, the idea of what a connected customer experience is and why you need to have one are the same. Interesting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And when you look at the restaurant operators, are they, their interactions with the customer, I presume, are the same? Like your North Star is the same. There's a lot of commonalities there. But how they run the restaurant, you know, I'm sure varies based on like the demographic, you know, when the customer's coming in for a sandwich versus a pizza, you know, both very different items that are associated with different sporting events. And one probably you have in the afternoon, one you probably probably want to have at night, you know, how does that change the way you think about managing, you know, expectations from your operators and managing the consumer experience, no matter when they walk in to any of your restaurants? Well, you're right in the sense that the North Star is the same in terms of, you know, providing, you know, the best experience that we can. Our mission is to out food, you know, out service and pretty much just out experience everybody in the neighborhood with the best food. And that translates across both segments, whether it's sandwich or pizza. So Dina, how many locations does um, both brands have? And is it all company owned or do you also have franchise locations? We have over 150 total locations. The majority are company owned and we have about 40 franchise locations right now. And we're looking to develop more franchise locations for D'Angelo at this time. So right now we're majority in you know, we're all in the New England area. So Massachusetts, Rhode Island, um, New Hampshire, a couple in, in Connecticut and some franchise D'Angelo locations in um, Maine. And so we're looking, you know, in terms of D'Angelo to fill in some more of that white space that we have in, in those markets right now, primarily um, probably Rhode Island and, and Massachusetts area. Um, and the rest are all company owned. Got it. And how do you ensure that you have the same experience in the franchise locations that where you have, you know, probably lesser control compared to the company owned? How do you manage that? Well, we work really closely with the franchisees and we have an excellent person, Bob Dooley, who is in charge of our franchise um, group. He's our vice president of franchising, and he's been with the company for over 40 years. So he is our guru on D'Angelo, and our founder um, is also still a franchisee. And our franchisees have been in the system for 
a long, long time. So they have started with the consistency of the brand, you know, way back to when the founder started. They have continued to be a part of the brand. Everybody is very much on board with brand standards. They are involved. We have, you know, meetings with them. We talk about marketing programs. They contribute to a marketing fund. And so we manage all of the materials and brand assets. And as far as um, all of the quality controls, they are very much on board. Um, our guest feedback, our, our guest review scores are very high on our franchise side, as well as our company side. We're in the high fours, um, almost five you know, stars when you look at our Google reviews. And so it's definitely a well-oiled machine. Hey, I'm your host, Sid Shetty, and I hope you're enjoying this conversation so far. To make sure you're up to date and have access to all our episodes, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Also, if you have thoughts, comments, or questions, be sure to follow Service Channel on LinkedIn so you can be part of our community of like-minded folks, as well as have access to a lot of other great content. Feel free to also connect and follow me on LinkedIn. I'm your host, Sid Shetty, and now back to the show. So, you know, many folks in our audience are connected to facilities and construction and operations, functions that touch the built environment, right? What are your thoughts on the contribution of the built environment, the physical space to the experience of a brand? My opinion is that when you walk into a location, having it be bright and um, open and cheery, is something that is, it's the first thing that people feel. It's its a very emotional kind of subconscious feeling. But even more so, I think it also helps the team members in a location. You know, we're, we always are thinking, I think, as, as people that work in the industry, we might be thinking of the customers always and how they feel when they walk into a new remodel or into a build but we should also, in my opinion, be thinking of the team members that go in to work every day and they're there all the time. And I've seen personally a difference in locations that we've remodeled before and after of just the team members' reactions. It's a sense of pride, but it's also a sense of, of feeling good. It's, it's just a sense of wellness. It's a sense of feeling good about um, coming to work every day. And, and when you project that, you can also, um, you know, people see it. It's, it's contagious to be happy and it's contagious to smile and it's contagious when you feel good about what you're doing. It's kind of like, and this is a little bit off topic, but, you know, we do a lot of community programs at both of our brands. And when, when you do good and when you give back to your community, that's something you bring with you too. And every one of our locations that does that, you can feel that. And, and it's the word you use just pride. You can feel that pride on them. And you could just feel that sense of self-satisfaction that, hey, I have a purpose here. I'm not just working you know, at Papa Gino's and D'Angelo, which I love, but I'm also giving back to my community by doing it. And when you walk into a location that also has a bright, cheery quality, you add to that this big smile and this sense of well-being. And it's, it's just a nice feeling. That's awesome. You know, I, I agree because, you know, 
Consumers today actually expect a lot more from their brands than just uh, great food, right? Like they want you to stand for something and do good. Like you mentioned, doing good in the community makes your employees feel proud and that translates to great, you know, smiles, right? I think the same thing happens to consumers too. Like they want to actually have, you know, the belief that the brands that they are patrons of are, you know, are in alignment to their general idea of giving back or doing good and and being responsible, uh, you know, in terms of the planet and other things, right? Because I think that's that's just a new way. That's just the expectation. And so that translates into, you know, what employees expect out of the brands that they work for as well. Um, now, going back to kind of the physical space, right? I want to flip that a little bit and ask you as a consumer, as a person with a family, like when you walk into any brand, what is the expectation you have as a restaurateur? Like when you walk in, do you have or look at things that maybe normally a consumer would not look at? And how does that influence, you know, what you expect as a C-level exec? you know, out of the brands that you run? That's a great question. So I think my perspective is a little bit, I don't want to say more forgiving from the facility standpoint, but I understand that it's hard when you have a lot of locations to do a massive overhaul. And so the things that I really hone in on are cleanliness and consistency. So cleanliness and consistency are huge and bathrooms are huge for me as a consumer. So I walk in and, you know, if your buildings are a little older, I can get that. If you haven't been able to do a big overhaul, I can get that. But your lighting should be right. Your light bulbs should all be set. You know, you should be able to do the best that you can in the existing confines of your environment. And that's what I look at because those are the types of things that are within your control, even if you can't do a tremendous overhaul or remodel to your environment, you can keep it clean, you can keep it well lit, and you can keep it welcoming in that sense. And that's what I look at as a consumer and especially the bathrooms. So those are the most important things to me as a consumer. Now, when I what I love as a consumer and what my if I had all the money and budget in the world, I would say that the best consumer experience when you go in is an open space that's bright and cheery and that is representative of the brand that is, you know, open and conducive to great operations. And so I think, you know, putting on a a brand hat and no restrictions, I think that consumers can feel that. They can feel when they walk in and when it's a great representation of a brand and when it's been refreshed and when the teams are happy and when the operation is efficient. Now, you interact with other C-level execs and you've been on a few different panels as well at the industry level. What do you hear when folks talk about their restaurant operations, you know, as it relates to the assets that they have that are, you know, like, for example, a fryer. Like if you if you make fried chicken and, you're, and you, your fryer doesn't work, that has a massive impact on the consumer experience, restaurant operations, and, you know, and it's just not ideal and you're losing money every single minute those assets are down and then also the physical space like everything you just mentioned when you talk to other c-level execs you know what do you hear about 
what they care about. Do they share the same sentiment that you have? Or is there still this gap between the connection between like the physical spaces, the assets and the brand itself? Because we sometimes see like, in our, you know, being in our space that the folks in our space don't do a great job in articulating the impact they have to the brand. They're, they're very much like heroes without caves. They come in when there's an issue, they resolve it and they move on. But like no one tells a story as to the impact you had on the business. I think that's such a great topic. From my own personal perspective, I think that people realize the impact that that has. I think that they understand the need for being proactive on things like equipment and things like refreshing and remodeling and that it's something that people desire to do. Um, I think that where some of the challenge might come in is in quantifying the expenses. And that's where I think we need to figure out maybe how to better utilize data to quantify what the return on those things can be. And to your point, we lose a lot of money when something goes down. The, I think, question is the predictability of that happening. And so on the one hand, you can say it would cost not that much more to replace a fryer than it would to repair it if it goes down. But that if is the big question. But if it doesn't go down, then it doesn't cost you anything. And so it depends on who is the keeper of that budget and whether or not that if is more important to them or less important to them. And so in my opinion, I think that's how it all depends on the list of prioritization and what a company is able to do with that. That's spot on. And I think what I think is also important for our audience to hear is that C-levels do care about this. And, you know, all you need is a business case to help you understand how do you utilize the resources that are available to make the best business decision possible. But all you need is for the right functions and the right departments to raise their hand and say, here's why investing in these functions, in these programs makes sense because they have a huge impact on the brand. But if the functions are just in the motion of fixing broken things, you will never know because, you know, you assume things are going right. Is that a fair assumption? I think it's a very fair assumption that making the business case is spot on, that making a business case is tremendously important and making a business case in the context of a company's other priorities. Because as I mentioned, you can make a business case for a lot of things. But if a business has other priorities and it comes down to those priorities versus an if, then you need to weigh those because there's only a finite amount of money to spread around potentially. And so the business case needs to be very compelling to focus on an investment of an if versus another investment. And I, But I do think that it's really important to do that because if becomes a reality in a lot of situations and we we discount that sometimes. So, and we become those superheroes without capes of how much resource are we then allocating to, you know, the ifs that become, you know, realities. 
Right. It's it, these are eventualities, right? They, they're going to happen at some point, and if the more predictability you can bring into the decision making, the better. Because ultimately, like you don't want to lose revenue, you don't want to have a poor customer experience, and sometimes all it takes is just putting your hand up and you know articulating the importance of the programs and what it does to the business. And it, it's it's not necessarily about how fast things are fixed. It's about what happens, you know, to the customer experience if you don't get this right. And then if you do it proactively, and you know, to your point, customers keep giving you five stars in your reviews, that is ultimately like the not star, you know, because everything contributes to the experience of the customer. Let's pivot to technology for a bit. You know, you're in the space talking to a lot of people, and there's a lot of advancements in technology and automation, some really cool things that are happening in the restaurant space with robotics, you know, things like uh, Flippy, you know, at, at White Castle's using to flip burgers, Chippy, you know, Chipotle, you know, Panda's using auto walk. There's all these things that are happening, you know, back of house, but also like front of house with robots being used to, you know, bus tables, deliver your drinks. You know, these are just some of the advancements that are happening in the automation and the world of robotics, right? What excites you? What do you think is here to stay? And what do you think is not going to change about the business that, that you're in? That's a great question. I think that the best part Part about automation and robotics and the advancements in technology is anything that will help us create more efficiencies within our labor. So I don't like to look at these advancements as replacements of people. I like to look at them as ways that we can enhance the guest experience because what these technology advancements allow us to do is free up our people to do, do the things that they do best, that the robotics and that the technology cannot do, which is have better guest interactions, make our food faster and better, present it faster and better, you know, try to figure out what else we can do to create better experiences, get more involved with people in the restaurants, um, know our customers better and try to advance frequency and, and other things by gaining more knowledge of the guests in our restaurants. So to me, having all of this great technology, it serves a purpose as labor reallocation instead of labor replacement. And I think that it's really important for us to remember that because that reallocation of labor to doing the things that people are best at doing is what's going to make our businesses better. And we have to remember, I mean, first and foremost, we're in the people business. We are the whole thing about restaurants and hospitality industry. I mean, hospitality, we are a people business, people first, you know, going back to the very beginning of this conversation, we are all here because of the people in the restaurants, the team members in the restaurants are our whole reason for being. And that's not going to change anytime soon, in my opinion. And so anything that we do, again, just enhances what they can do. That's right. And and that's what we're seeing. Like there's a there's a massive labor shortage right now, you know, especially for operators, but also like in the, the trades space, like there's a massive shortage of skilled labor. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about is no matter like which part of the world you're in, you know, whether you're a restauranter on the services side, we need to encourage more talent to come into the space. You know, it's a good life. And, you know, I think automation will, to your point, not replace the people that are needed, 
it's going to change what they do. And, you know, I think if you talk, if you just, like I mentioned, AutoWalk and Flippy and Chippy, this allows the restaurant to take the folks that were in the back of house and bring them front of house in front of the customer so they can be with the customer and help them, right? Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, and I think it's really important to look at technology to create efficiencies that will help us grow our top line faster. So to me, the purpose of technology and where technology fits in all of this to help us grow our bottom line is that it compresses the, the middle of the P&L. You know, it, it pushes efficiency so that the top line can grow faster and push more flow through down to the bottom. And by doing that, your people are freed up to help do what they need to do to push the top line, which is process things faster, get better customer relationships so that they come back more and are more loyal. And all of the things that come from that ultimately drive more business because that's, I mean, we're in in business to drive more business. We're in a people business and then we're in business to drive more business. So all of those things need to work out. And if we can use technology to help us do that because they create more efficiencies, then that's what it's there for. What are your thoughts on uh, some of the interesting things with last mile delivery with autonomous robots delivering food and, and, and drones being tested? Thoughts on that? Everything is possible right now in, in terms of different levels of customer acceptance and you know consumer acceptance of those things. In general, there's some people that are fearful of change. And in some markets, I think that's going to be brilliant. In other markets, I think it's going to be hard for people to, to adapt currently, you know, maybe more in the future. I think people think it's cool. I think it's a fun marketing and, and PR thing. I do think that it's, like I said, it's great in some markets right now. I think like anything else, it's going to depend on the demographic. I agree. I mean, there's a lot of stuff happening right now. A lot of things being tried out. Some will stick, some might not. But I think what is clear is that this is a very interesting and fun time. And there's going to be some really big advancements that will shift consumer behavior even more. Now, going back a few years, I mean, you know, now I'd say a few years, but couple of years. Let's talk about COVID for a second, right? COVID was a very strenuous time for the restaurant business, but there was a massive bounce back that happened. And, you know, the restaurant business is doing great right now. Anything that you think that changed during COVID in terms of how you operated, what you did, consumer expectations that you think now is a standard Ex, you know, practice that now consumers will expect? Or do you think certain things will start to die down over time and go back to the way it was? We were always kind of a third dine-in, a third delivery, a third carry-out. And when COVID hit, we became obviously all pickup and delivery. And just like everybody else, we didn't have eating in restaurants anymore. So I think with that, and this is Primarily, I would say Papa Gino's comment. I think with that, what ended up happening was we became more similar to other pizza concepts where pickup and delivery were more the standard versus, you know, being a more of a dine-in concept. And I think we've we've definitely bounced back in the dine-in space, but it might have, you know, been something that dine-in just isn't as popular in general unless you're in casual dining and fine dining. I think those are the ones that have really bounced back post-COVID. But if you're sort of like in between that, your carry-out delivery model, third party, those are the things that kind of made a big shift and that's kind of becoming a core. So I think that's what's been pretty interesting about COVID. I think the other thing that's really shifted is digital. And I don't think that that's going to go away at all. 
I think that's something that really shifted the consumer mindset in terms of accessibility and people really ordering online and being more comfortable with digital in general. And I think that um, that convenience is sticking and is not going to go away. And the acceptance of third party, I think, is something else that has definitely increased I'm not sure that for all demographics, that's going to stay where it is. I think there's a certain demographic that is not as price sensitive as others, and they are more willing to pay third-party fees and prices, but some you know, core customers are not. And while they would, would during the pandemic pay for the convenience of third-party, they are not willing to pay that much for the convenience anymore. But there is a demographic out there that is kind of immune to that because they live on third-party in general. As you look into the future, is there anything that one excites you and two, something that you discuss with other execs about what to be prepared for? I think one of the things that is interesting to me is the concept of experience off premises and the idea of virtual technologies with delivery. And so that's something that is an untapped opportunity right now and how we can enhance off-premise experiences by using virtual technologies. So can you explain that? Like, you know, can you give an example of like, what would that look like? Whatever you want. (laughs) 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 I mean, you know, having, you know, pizza on the beach from your living room, you know, I, I don't know what it could look like. It's when you're in a gaming environment. I mean, this is a very interesting one, in my opinion, And, you know, I'm going to say it and then somebody else is going to do it. But (laughs) I think let's say, you know, right now brands are in gaming environments like Roblox or or something. And I say that because, you know, I have young kids, but they're in in a gaming environment and there's a a pop-up, you know, brand A and another pop-up brand B. And they're sitting, you know, talking to their friends and chatting online. Well, who's to say you can't get delivery from those brands and you're sitting there and you're having lunch with your friends eating the same food. Um, you know, just virtual dining experiences while you're in game or, you know, while you're pretend to be somewhere else. I think that, that you know, brands are going to eventually tap into more than just awareness in these gaming environments, in these, these virtual worlds. There's going to there's going to be a, an ordering component and a transactional component to it at some point. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Let's end with a fun question, Dina. What is your perfect pizza? What is your favorite kind of pizza? Oh, well, Papa Gino's has this amazing pizza. It's called the Italian sausage ricotta pizza. We have the best sausage on pizza, by the way. Like I'm not really a sausage on pizza eater and I love it. It's our traditional crust with marinara and sausage and clumps of ricotta cheese with flakes of red pepper and it is delicious. It's so good. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, on that mouth-watering note, (laughs) Dina, I want to say a huge thanks for taking the time to chat with me. I really appreciate it and I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Can you tell our audience where they can find you? You can find me on LinkedIn, Dina McKinley. Well, that was Dina McKinley, Chief Experience Officer at Papagino's and D'Angelo's Grilled Sandwiches, talking about the role of the Chief Experience Officer, how restaurants are a people business, and why experience matters for both the consumer and the employee. 
brands are starting to understand that, and it shows in the rise of the role of the chief experience officer. What is also clear is that the built environment plays a huge role in that experience, and it's for us to build the right business case, ROI, and narrative to drive the right investments. With that, I'm your host, Sid Shetty, and I'll see you on the next episode of Elevating Brick and Mortar. Service Channel brings you peace of mind through peak facilities performance. Rest easy knowing your locations are offering the best possible guest experience, living up to brand standards, and operating with minimal downtime. Service Channel partners with more than 500 leading brands globally to provide visibility across operations, the flexibility to grow and adapt to consumer expectations, and accelerated performance from their asset fleet and service providers. Get to know us at servicechannel.com.